You are worth knowing just because you're you. You are a blessing to the lives of those around you simply when you are you, not when you are trying to get things for them, but when you are there for them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kingdom Rock Radio. You are moments away from receiving God's rich word. But first, remember that you can subscribe to our Roku channel as well as our podcast. And don't forget, for more information, you can always contact us at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's word. Amen. We're just going to jump right on in there with a quick review from last week. Uh, Last week, we learned about what it means to live a simple life. And remember, simple is an acrostic. So every letter in there stands for another word. Uh, And we're going to go through that real quickly. The S in simple is for surrendered. Uh, I surrender to God, to the work of the Holy Spirit, so that the fruit of the Spirit can be produced in me. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. We want the fruit of the spirit uh, to be manifest in our life instead of the works of the flesh. Remember what the works of the flesh are, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, and drunkenness. So when you start seeing those things play out in your life, it's time to take a step back because you've surrendered to the wrong thing, okay? And it can be a gradual. We can think, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm not doing good. I'm not doing good. So we just have to be, you know, careful of that. We want to make sure that we are surrendering uh, to the Lord our time, our talent, our treasure. We are saying all of me, all that I have, all that I own, I choose, Lord. And it is a choice. I choose uh, to give it to you, Lord, and to follow uh, your guidance and your instructions. So the S is living a surrendered life, surrender to God. We're going to be surrendered to something, uh, but you get to choose uh, who and what you're going to be surrendered to. The I is for our intimate connections. Not only with the Lord, we have to have our intimate connection with the Lord. And we get that through prayer and through studying the word and hearing the word. But we also have to have some intimate connections with each other because we don't live in this world alone. We were not meant to live in this world alone. We need to know that we are not alone. And so we have to have some intimate connections uh, with each other. That doesn't mean you go to every stranger on the street and tell them all your business, but it does mean when you see somebody on the street, you can acknowledge their presence, just a smile, um, you know, a good morning, a how are you, a, you know, a head nod for those of you too cool for a smile, you know, you do the, you know, that thing as you're walking by, just that you've acknowledged that they are in fact a human being and have a right to live on this planet and they are not out there by themselves. You know, they do, you know, when you go into a store and they greet you, Well, that is for a couple of reasons. First of all, yes, we want to have good customer service. But usually when you greet somebody when they come in the store, it they know that they've been seen and recognized and they're less likely to shoplift. So that is what that's about. I learned that from the two weeks I worked at Blockbuster. That's a whole other story. Anyway, so... Uh, the I is for intimate connections. We want to be connected uh, with those around. You remember, we're going to be somebody's cheerleader. And then when you need it, somebody's going to be your cheerleader. Be there for them. 
The M is for mindful living. We don't want to get bogged down with the regrets of the past. We, we did things, we said things we may not be proud of. We cannot go back and change those because none of us in fact have a time machine. Uh, but what we can do is repent and try to make it better. Uh, but we can't go back. So there's no point in living in the past. And there's no point in being anxious for the future because there's no guarantee that you're going to make it to the future. So there's no point in you spending the time you have right now worried about what may be to come. That doesn't mean we don't plan, but we don't, we're not anxiously, oh my God, what if, what if, what if? No, no. We're going to appreciate where we are right now. What is going on with us right now in this moment? Uh, and we're going to enjoy what God has given us that this current breath, that we have, and we're going to make the most of it. So when we get up in the morning, you know, we acknowledge the Lord. Good morning, Abba. Thank you for this day. And we pray and ask the Lord for our today list. You know, like sometimes we like to make those to-do lists and mark out. But I, I want to challenge you when you get up every day to ask God, what goes on my today list? What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to bless? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to accomplish before I lay my head back down on this pillow tonight? What is my today list from you? The P is for peacefully existing in this world of chaos. And we know chaos is all around. Um, you can read the news in, uh, in the paper. You can watch it on television. There's always something going on somewhere to make you go, what in the world are people thinking? So there's chaos all around us and we can choose to be caught up in that or we can choose to walk in the peace that God has given us, to live wholesome, to be whole, to be in harmony, to be free from strife. Uh, we don't wanna be filled with stress. Don't let people pull you in their drama. Some people's lives is just a whirlwind. And I guess they like it that way. I don't know, maybe they don't know how to get off the exit, I don't know. But you don't have to let them pull you into that. If they wanna live that way, that is their choice. But when they come to you, you can say, no, thank you. My drama cup is full. You can move on uh, to the next person. Love you. Don't love all the stuff. You keep going. So we don't have to exist in that. The L is for loving unconditionally as Jesus loved. Uh, and that, you know, takes us to 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love, how, you know, is it enduring? Um, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Uh, so we want to love like that. We also have to remember that not only are we loving unconditionally, we don't get to choose who we love. You, we have to remember when, when Jesus went to the cross, he went for all of us. Those that were not even born yet, uh, those that are still not born yet, those of us who we consider to be the best among us, and those that we consider to be the worst among us. He went to the cross for each and every one of us. He didn't pick and choose. And aren't you glad he didn't pick and choose? Because there are some days... People, other people may not see what's going on in your heart, but he knows what's going on in our hearts. And we are not as good as we could be, or as people may think we are. So loving unconditionally doesn't mean we decide, we pick and choose who we're going to love. We're all God's children. And he wants all of us uh, to be united and to come together uh, and to be with him in heaven someday. 
The E is for earnest. I'm going to be earnest in my service. That means I'm going to serve him, serve him sincerely and enthusiastically. Um, I'm going to have an intense conviction. I know what I believe, and this is why I believe it, uh, and I'm not going to be persuaded otherwise. Amen? So that was last week in a nutshell. So we're going to move on to this week. You remember I told you we were going to talk about stuff, and I know you're like, what does any of that have to do with my stuff? Why does she just want me to give stuff away? She works at that food bank and she's thinking everybody need to give all their stuff away. Part of that is true. But we're going to go into the book of Luke today and that's going to help us to understand what in fact that has to do with our stuff. So uh, the gospel of Luke is where we're going to be. We will start out reading in chapter three, but before we get that, just give you a little bit of background information. Uh, in the book of Luke, starting with chapter one, you read about two very special couples, um, Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth, uh, Joseph and his soon to be wife, Mary. And both of those very special couples end up giving birth to two very special sons. Two very special sons, John, also known as John the Baptist, because he baptized people, and Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And they give birth to those sons under some very special circumstances. So if you don't know what those circumstances are, then I want to encourage you to read Luke chapter 1 and 2. But we're not going to read that today. We're going to pick up with Luke chapter 3, where John is born, and he is grown, and he's a grown man. Now, he should have been a priest working in the temple because his father, Zacharias, was a priest. And that's how things were. If you were a priest, your sons were also worked in the priesthood. But that was not what John did because he had a different calling on his life. So there you go already. Just because you're supposed to be something doesn't mean that's what you're going to be called to be. And you have to be open to hear the voice of the Lord for that. But John was out in the wilderness. Now that's somebody who didn't mind giving up his stuff, right? Living in the wilderness, we read about, you know, what he wore, what he ate, very uh, simple focused life. And so he's out in the wilderness and he's near the Jordan and he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And people, multitudes, uh, crowds are coming uh, to him and they're seeking baptism. And he says, uh, when they come, that they need to bring fruits worthy of repentance. Now, he stops them in their tracks at first and says, I don't come saying you're Abraham's seed because that's not going to be enough. Now, if you don't know why that was an important thing, then you get to spend a little time in the Old Testament finding out who Abraham was and why being Abraham's seed was so important. But again, I'm not going to talk about that with you today. What I'm just going to say was that for them, for the first time, being Abraham's seed was not enough. He tells them, what fruit worthy of repentance have you brought? And so then you do, you know, what you do when somebody says what you thought was enough wasn't enough. Their question was, well, what do we do? Well, we end up having three different categories of people that are in this multitude. So the first is part of what we call our general Jewish population. And they're like, well, what do we do? And so Luke 3, 11, John answers them and he says, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Yes, thank you. Uh, so they're like, okay, what? Because wouldn't that be your answer if you're coming and somebody's preaching, you got to repent so you can have eternal life. And their response to you, well, if you've got two coats, you need to give one away. And if you've got extra food, you need to give some to somebody. And you're like, what? 
Because I'm pretty sure most of us in this room have more than two coats. And you're like, but you don't understand. I got a coat for when it's windy, and then I have a coat for when it's cold but not raining, and then one for when it's cold and raining, and one for when it's just raining, and one for when there's snow and ice on the ground. So see, all those coats have a purpose, doesn't it? But he didn't say which of your coats. So he just said, if you have two, give one to somebody who doesn't have one. If you have food, give some to somebody who doesn't have one. So they're like, okay. So he's telling them, keep only what you need. And then the next group are the tax collectors. Now, the tax collectors were generally looked down on as our tax collectors this day and time kind of looked down on. But they were even more so because they were Jewish people who were working for the Roman government, who was an oppressive government uh, that the Jewish people were under at the time. And so they were working for the Roman government. And the way tax collecting worked was if you were a tax collector, you would go to somebody and not only were you going to collect what they owed the government, but you could add your fee on top and collect extra. So they were known to cheat people. They were, you know, I'm getting what, this is what the government says you owe, but I'm saying, and it could have been double, uh, but you've got to pay me this. And so they were looked down on by the general population, you know, because you're like, you're coming after my stuff, right? And so they say, well, what do we do? And John says to them in Luke 3:13, and he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And so I'm sure they're like, um, I got bills. What does he mean? I mean, this was their livelihood. Have you ever work a job on commission? My husband used to work a job on commission. Lord have mercy. That was early on in our marriage. I was not accustomed to that sort of thing. And so he would bring in these really nice paychecks one week or two weeks or ever how often he got paid because all those alarms he sold, all the commission, because your, your base pay really was nothing. And so if you didn't sell things, you didn't you know, have money. So like the tax collectors, if you didn't add something on top, you didn't really have anything. And so sometimes he'd come in, but when that commission didn't come in or like the time, I remember when he had sold all these alarms in this one apartment complex, things were gonna be nice. And then the management decided that they were not going to allow any of the residents to put alarms in. And so you get, what was it, charged back or whatever. So then all of those commissions that you had gotten goes away. And so that next paycheck was like a dollar. And I'm like, a dollar? You brought home a paycheck for a dollar? What are we supposed to do with that? So can you imagine the wives of these tax collectors when they come home and now there's like, well, hon, uh, there's no extra. We're just going to get what our paycheck is. Well, because as people, we like to live paycheck to paycheck, no matter how big the paycheck is, I bet you there was going to be some adjusting. But we move on to group three, where there's soldiers. The soldiers are, and it's unclear whether they were Roman soldiers or Jewish soldiers, but they were passing through and they're there. Um, and soldiers were known to extort money uh, out of people by force or by violence. So if you had something and they wanted it, uh, they beat you up, take your stuff, shake you down for your money, what have you. Uh, that was just par for the course. That's what they did. And if they couldn't you know, beat you out of your money, then they would just falsely accuse you. Say you would commit some crime, you'd be arrested, and then they just take what they wanted. And so they come and they're like, well, what do we need to do? <laughs> so John... Luke 3, 14, 
All the scriptures are there coming from the New King James Version, by the way. He looks, so he says to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, soldiers, they were, they did receive wages and they would receive rations, enough food or what have you for the day. Uh, and so he's telling them to be content with what you get. Oh, contentment. We look at that as a dirty word these days. Um, and we think, I don't want to be content. That means you have no goals. You have no aspiration. That's not what contentment means. Contentment means being satisfied with what you have um, right now. But it doesn't mean I don't have goals for more in the future. You know, I can plan and I can aspire to other things. But what I'm not going to live in the past, I'm definitely not going to be dishonest and take what I want from someone else. I'm going to be happy with what I have. And then I'm also going to look ahead to where God is calling me. And I'm going to be content when I get there to that point. And then I'll look for the next place that he's calling me. And then when I get there, I'll be content at that point, And I will enjoy the journey from one place to the next. Okay. Not to be confused with complacency. That's the ugly word. That's where you look around at where you are. It's not suitable. You look around at what you have, it's not suitable. You look at yourself and you're not suitable. And you think this is all wrong and it needs to be changed, but I don't feel like it. And so you just sit right there and wallow in it. You know, when you know you need to get up and exercise and you just don't, or you watch them exercise on TV while you eat potato chips. That sort of thing. So we don't want to be complacent, but we do want to be content. So he tells them to be content uh, in their wages. So now let's hop on over to Luke chapter 12 and see what else is going on. Here we have Jesus and he is teaching to a multitude. It says an, an innumerable multitude uh, that they are so much so that they're trampling over each other. So that's a lot of people. And so he's there and he's preaching to him. And let's see what he has to say. Luke 12, verses 13 and 14. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, lo and behold, this happens to us, right? You are where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And now Jesus is talking to them about hypocrisy, the leaven, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And he's going all to this. And somebody just out of the crowd, Hey, did you tell my brother he needs to divide the inheritance with me? just come on out of the blue and nowhere and distract you. We have to be careful about distractions and distract you from what you're doing. And you see how he's trying to pull Jesus into some drama. If you have never experienced dealing with someone's death and inheritance, you don't know family drama. And so here we have a situation where someone has died and we have these brothers that are supposed to divide uh, whatever that they have left behind. And one feels like it's not being done justly. And so he wants to pull Jesus into it. And you have to love Jesus's response. But he said to him, man, I'm like, the Lord said that, man. <laughs> so that's what we need to do. Somebody comes to you with some stuff, man, woman. Anyway, he says, man. Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you, right? So you're just like, I'm not getting into this. So isn't that nice that we have that freedom when somebody comes to us with their drama, you just look at them, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And just, 
And then he just goes back to teaching and decides not only just to go back to teaching, but uses that as a teaching moment, as he says. And he says to them, he just turns back to the crowd and says, take heed and beware of covetousness, which is greed or showing a strong desire for material possessions. You know, hint, hint. Uh, beware of that, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Or as it says in the New Living Translation, Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And I think that is a very valuable lesson to us today. Our life should not be measured by how much you own. Now, true, the world will measure you by how much you own. Uh, people around you will say if your house isn't big enough, if your car isn't fancy enough, if your jewelry isn't flashy enough, if your clothes are not the particular name brand of whatever is in style at the, at the time, if your hairstyle isn't what everybody is wearing and you're not using the hair products that everyone is using, if you don't go on the trips that they go to, if you don't have those experiences and do those things, the world will judge you. Those around you will measure your life and they will say that you aren't good enough, you aren't smart enough, you aren't pretty enough, you aren't rich enough. But your response to them should be, so what? <laughs> because ultimately their opinion of you, and some of you may not be aware of this, but someone else's opinion of you is none of your business. Did you know that? We are all entitled to our own thoughts and opinions. And why do you care? You should not. Their opinion is their business. It is not your business unless they want to come and share it with you. And then you can discuss. But until then, it's none of your business. What they think of you. You should know what God thinks of you. He thought enough of you to send Jesus to die so that you could be reconciled to him. That should be what is important. Your life should not be measured by what you have or what you own. Because what do we do? We get caught up in this cycle of, because things changes, even with something as simple as a cell phone. Now I remember, and I guess I'll tell my age here, I did not get my first cell phone until I was married. And we were, but I did marry young, so. There you go. Uh, so there we were having, and it seems a little shady now, met some lady in the parking lot at the office depot to, to buy this cell phone. And it was the kind that you had, if you wanted long range, you had to take off the short antenna and twist on the longer antenna. Um, but, you know, we were so excited. We had the one phone to share. I don't even know who we were going to call, but just the one to share with each other. And eventually, you know, as phones progress, that was back when you could get a contract, you could be under contract and they'd give you the phone for free as long as you stayed with them for two years. Well, I was like living it up then because I'm like, oh, I got a free phone. And then they'd be like, oh, but you can get all this fancy. I'm like, but it's free. I can get this one for free. It makes calls, right? Receives calls. Text messaging used to be free. Well, I guess it's free again now, but it was standard back then too. And, and so then, you know, they, they would just evolve and they would change. And so every so often, I think they even build them to self-destruct because by the time the two years would come along, you would have to get a new phone because you just simply wouldn't keep up, wouldn't work. And so that is how this world is geared toward accumulating stuff 
stuff that's almost disposable because by the time you really get the hang of it, something else has come out and yours just simply is not as effective. But now you don't get the free phone. I was amazed the first time I found that. I'm like, you still want me to sign the two-year contract, but I don't get a free phone? No, but you can pick your phone and we'll uh, divide up the price and you just pay so much on every month. I'm like, I'm not paying a monthly bill for a phone. I mean, you pay your, for your service. You can't get out of that. But I'm not financing a telephone. No. Stop the madness. But we do, right? Because when we look at things these days, we don't even look at how much they cost. We just look at how much they cost per month. This is only going to be $30 per month. Yeah, but it's $1,200 for a phone. Look at yourself in the mirror and say that $1,200. But I digress. Let's just go back. Where were we? I'm sorry. I have cell phone issues. So as we're here, he said, you know, don't let people distract you when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like Jesus was, you're supposed to be teaching the people. Somebody inevitably is going to come and try to pull you away into some situation. You don't have to fall for that. You don't have to get caught up in that. But more importantly, we don't want to be greedy. We don't want to get so caught up in these material possessions that are only temporary. It doesn't matter how much you pay for a pair of shoes. It's a pair of shoes. They are not going to last forever. Something's going to happen to them. You're either going to get bored with them. Your foot's going to outgrow them. You're going to step on something and mess them up. Something's going to happen. Uh, it's a pair of shoes, right? So we don't want to get so caught up in these material possessions. Luke 12, 16 through 20. And it reads as follows. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? It's a good problem to have. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. And my soul says, huh? <laughs> so you have many goods laid up for many years Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those, then whose will those things be which you have provided? Now, what was his problem? It's not a bad thing that he had abundance. There's nothing wrong with that. He was a farmer. He planted, he grew. He had what's called a bumper crop, so much more than you expected. That's a good problem to have, but it's his response that was not good. What does he look at? Look, he was like, you know, what shall I do? I have no room to store all my crops. He's like, look at, look at, he looked around. He's like, look at what I did. Now, if you're a farmer, yes, you planted it, but there's a whole lot more in works than what you've done. Because there could have been pestilence that come around. There could have been the seed just simply didn't yield. Um, the, there was not enough rain or there was too much rain the cold snap that killed everything. There are so many other factors at play that you simply cannot say, look what I did. And besides, who thinks he worked this ground by himself? Chances are he had people helping him. And then he says, I'm going to pull down this barn and build a greater. Who's going to do that by themselves? Somebody's going to help him. But he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that maybe just maybe I was given 
blessed with all this surplus because there's somebody else that needs. Like John says, you have two coats, give one to somebody who doesn't. What do we not focus on? That there's someone out there who doesn't even have one. There's somebody out there who had no food at all. And you had plenty. May not have always been what you wanted, but you had plenty of it. There's someone who doesn't have it at all. There was somebody whose crop didn't even yield enough because there was pestilence, because they didn't get enough water to their land or something happened or they didn't have enough workers or they didn't have a barn to put it in at all. And so they were not able to keep and hold for the future. But all he could see was himself how much I have and how much more I can have if I just keep it all. And then he wasn't even going to use his free time to go be productive. He's just, now I'm just going to sit back. I don't have to work anymore. And I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm just going to live it up. And I'm just going to satisfy this flesh. Pride will drive us to do that sort of thing. When we look back and we say, I got this. I don't need God. I already provide, I can provide for me. I don't need him to provide for me. I have this. And that's what this gentleman was doing here. But, you know, he learns, you know, when God says to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Remember when I said there's no point in us being anxious for the future? Because there's no guarantee. And this shows you even money can't buy you that guarantee. Because even in our world today, you do know rich people die. They do. Some of them get sick and die from the same diseases that poor people die from. Y'all are aware of that, right? Some of them get hit by a bus just like poor people do. So having all of that and accumulating it unto yourself doesn't guarantee you that your life is not going to turn out just like someone down the street who had nothing. Like I said, they get sick, they get diseases, they battle addictions. All of that happens. It doesn't, I mean, none of us are exempted from that. When we live a life where we're surrendered to the works of the flesh, things happen. And even when we live a life surrounded to the spirit, but those around us have lived a life surrounded to the flesh, we are still affected by their decisions and by their actions. Now on to Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 18 to 23. Now a certain rule, you know I had to, talk about this young man. Now a certain ruler asked him, uh, he's talking to Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? <clears throat> so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. That's a commandment. We don't teach enough of, do we honor your father and mother? But anyway, and he says, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now he asked, what could I do to have eternal life? Which means he wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus like, okay, you can follow me. Just get rid of all this baggage, all this stuff that you have. Just sell it all. And do you notice he didn't tell him to pocket the cash, right? You got to now give the money away. That's hard, Lord. Because in the back of our minds, what do we sometimes think? 
If you're poor and you need money, go to work. That's what I did. That's what people generally think. But sometimes there's some other situations and circumstances that may not be as simple as get a job, go to work. I don't have any spare change. Get you a spare job. You know, there's some other things at play. But when the young man heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. That means he had a lot of things that he was going to have to get rid of and then give it all away to someone else, right? His things had a hold of him. And we may think, well, I mean, who of us could do that? You know, sometimes when we read that, we judge and we come up with all these reasons why you're like, well, you know, he had, he, he was just, God was going to take care of him, but he, he doesn't know that. He has what he's trusted in. And that's the point that Jesus was making. You've trusted in this life that you could build for yourself. But that's not what eternal life is about. When we're living a life surrendered to God, then we are trusting that he has us, that he has a plan for us, that he's going to take care of us. And it goes on down. It talks about, you know, look at the lilies of the field. Lord, the Lord takes care of his creation. Now, we as people, we may have kids and leave them by the side of the road to fend for themselves, but the Lord doesn't do that. God is faithful to take care of us. We have to be able to trust him. Now, an abundant life may not mean you have a different car for every day of the week to drive, but it does mean you have enough. And we have to be content with having enough. Because like I said before, we may have multiple coats, but you can only wear one at a time. Unless you're really cold natured, then you may put a sweater on under your big coat, but you understand me. You can use one at a time. You can only drive one car at a time. You can live in a house that's big enough for 30 people, but if there's only one of you, you can only be in one room at a time. You can only sleep at one, one bed at a time. And so we have to ask ourselves, there's nothing wrong with having extra. You just need to be careful about why you have it. And if it is so that you can compare yourself to someone else, so that you can compete with someone else, so that you can say that I'm this and I'm that, that's all for the wrong reasons. But if you have it, so that when you see somebody who doesn't have it, you can give it to them. That's a good reason. The Lord wants us to have an abundance because he does want to be able to funnel the wealth through you to get it to other people. But if you're not a place that he can funnel it through, well, then what is the point if all you are is a big hole in the ground to pack full of stuff that no one gets the benefit of but you? What is the point of that? Why would I, if I could bless that, why would I bless that? You know, so he wants us to live an abundant life. So is, from these passages, you may think, is Jesus anti-wealth? No, he's not. Is he anti-stuff? Of course not. Uh, does he want you broke, you know, running around begging, you know, not having enough, waking up every day, you know, stressed out because how am I going to make it today? How am I going to make it today? He doesn't want that, but he, he also doesn't want you to be in bondage. He wants us to be free. And sometimes when we are accumulating things and accumulating things, we're not free. We're in bondage to those things. Because like I said before, and the way our society is structured, 
you're, it's geared toward you getting more than you can afford to have because you can pay for it over time. When life wasn't that way, when it was a cash and carry world and you could only get what you could pay for at that moment, I think it was probably a much better place. Because then you had to look at it and decide, do I really want this? If I do, then I'll have to save up or I'll have to work extra or I'll have to do something or you simply just found a better way or another way. But we don't have to do that now. We don't have to deprive ourselves of anything. I'm reminded I was in a seminar and they were talking about uh, some of the companies that prey on lower income uh, neighborhoods. And there was this billboard up. It was uh, some particular rent to own place. Now, if you choose to rent to own, that's your choice. Uh, I'd rather just own to own. But, you know, so they there was a billboard there and it had, you know, some fancy things up there. uh, And it said, because everyone deserves to have nice stuff. Okay. But if you can't afford the nice stuff, everyone also uh, deserves to have a peaceful night's sleep. Uh, Deserves to be able to enjoy their lives instead of working around the clock because if they don't pay that bill, that stuff is going to be repossessed. Uh, We also enjoyed, we should deserve to have time with our families where we can gather around the big TV that we are now making payments on. Uh, that you have time to enjoy this lifestyle that you have put together. So you want to be careful about those things. But God doesn't want us broke. He also wants us to remember Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you notice with that verse, it's not your heart out there first. It's your stuff out there first. It's wherever you're accumulating these treasures, whatever kind of treasures they are, Wherever they are, that's where your heart will be because things cost us. And we will talk about that in just a minute, how much uh, they do cost us. But where your treasure is, your heart will follow. When we get caught up in material possessions, we slowly but surely move away from the simple life. One where we're surrendered to God, we're in intimate connection with him and others, where we are mindful and present in this moment, where we are living in a state of peace, where we are loving unconditionally, where we are serving on our earnestly and enthusiastically. We move away from that lifestyle to one that is confused, which is also an acrostic. Y'all know I had to go there. So we move to a confused life. And what is a confused life? The C stands for compromise. One where we are compromising our morals and our beliefs. Uh, Because sometimes you have to in order to keep this life up that you have made for yourself. You become like the soldiers who beat people up for their stuff, shaking them down for money. Or the tax collector who adds a little on top, uh, who becomes dishonest in their dealings uh, because they need extra money. You become more prone to not be honest, uh, to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do because you got to have this money or you got to have these things. So we compromise. A compromised uh, or a confused life is one where we have offense. Offense rules our decision-making and our attitudes. Somebody hurts your feelings, you don't let that go. 
You let it grow. You let it fester. Somebody doesn't meet your expectations. Somebody disappoints you. You hold on to it. And you remember what we said last week? When you hold on to that, that stuff gets around your heart. You become a toxic person. It floods through your system. And when you least expect it, you leak it out on someone else. And it affects them. And it affects us internally. Your bo- Our bodies weren't meant to have that kind of thing in us. So it affects our health. It affects uh, our emotional well-being when we let offense uh, take over. And it, and it does. It rules our decision-making. And you will make decisions based out of your anger and your hurt and your bitterness. And you won't be looking at anyone else's uh, well-being. You won't be kind. You won't be compassionate. It'll all become about you when we let offense rule our lives and we're living a confused life. The N stands for narcissism. We need to throw a vocabulary word in there. Narcissism, an exaggerated sense of self-importance. You become like the gentleman there with the, that had the, the big crop. You just become focused on you. What am I going to do? Look at what I've accomplished. What's going to, what can I do now? How much can I get for me? It's all about pride and arrogance and how you can do this and how you can make this happen and what's better for you. The F is for fearful. We do become fearful and anxious because what if I don't have enough? You know, we can save things up and you can have, you know, when people hoard things. Now, sometimes people hoard things because they have some underlying emotional uh, or mental illness that hasn't been addressed. But sometimes people just hoard things because they have been in a position where they didn't have enough and they, I don't, that's not going to ever happen to me again. And so you keep all of this stuff and it goes to waste because before you, things don't last forever. And before you can use it, it goes bad. Or because we live in the country, some nature from outside comes inside and gets a hold of it. And you have to use your imagination on that. And then you just have to throw it away because it's no good. And so you, you, we get all fearful and anxious um, about the past. What if they find out what I did? What if they find out what, if, what I said? Well, what if they do? You're human. We make mistakes. Own up to it. I, I know when you watch these TV shows, I used to say, and Lord help me, I pray I'm never in this situation, where people get in all this trouble because somebody, you know, sends the envelope in the mail with the pictures and they're going to blackmail you unless you give them all this money. I'm like, what? You might as well just come clean with it. I'm not about to give you no $2 million. Please, I'll print these pictures myself. This is what I did, y'all. And I'm just going to say, it looked like a good idea at the time. I had fun when I was doing it, but I was wrong, Lord. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You know, things happen. We do things that when we look back, when the smoke clears, or like when Pastor Nelson was saying today, when, when you, you know, when you live that life where you didn't want to think about it and you had a little something to drink, and when you sober up, you're like, What? It happens. All you can do is repent to God, which is a change your way. Don't put yourself in that situation again. Don't let that happen again. And say, I'm sorry to those that you've hurt. 
and give them time to deal with the offense because you surely will have offended somebody and give them some grace to deal with that. But there's no point in hiding from it and being fearful of the past and every day, what if they're going to find out? What if they're going to find out? Somebody's going to find out at some point, but you know what? Everybody has skeletons in their closet. So ultimately no one cares about yours. You are the story of the day. But if you get out in front of it and just say, you know, I shouldn't have done this. I'm sorry. Then we realize because we, you know, we like drama. So if there's not a whole bunch around it other than I did it, I'm sorry. It's always the cover up that causes the more trouble. So just don't. We're not going to be anxious uh, about and fearful about the past or the present. We're just going to move on. The U is for unrest. You're not living a life of peace, but you're unrest and turmoil, tossing and turning. And again, like I said, anxious. Who wants to live that life? I don't want to live that life. You can just feel it when you're in turmoil, your stomach just bubbling all up. Then you got to go get you some Pepto-Bismol and handle your business and stuff and all of that. Uh uh-uh. You don't want a life that's unrestful. Because then you can't enjoy where you are. You cannot enjoy the people in your life when you're all caught up with this. This life is too short, isn't it? I mean, I'm like, I'm already older than what I was. And I'm like, where did the time go? You know, it's when you look at your kids, I look at my son's about to graduate high school. I remember graduating high school. I'm like, where did those years go? The time we have on this earth is so short. Even if you live a very long time, your body's not going to be in the condition at the end as it was at the beginning. The people around you are not going to be here. People are going to come and go. So why not enjoy them as much as you can? You know, each and every day, just take it all in. The Lord has given us this wonderful opportunity. Uh, the S is sinful. And you remember we said what happens when you give in to the desires of the flesh, you have that sinful nature. That's when you end up making those skeletons that are in the closet. When you give in to the desires of this flesh, because this flesh can be wicked. This world can be wicked. And the reason it gets more and more wicked is because if you ever know, when you try to do something to satisfy your body, the next time you get ready to do it, it wants more. Case in point. Now, we're going to go back to the candy because we all love candy. You know how candy bars used to be, you know, just a small little candy bar. But now we just, that's not enough, right? You just can't, if you ever go in the store and you buy just a regular size candy bar, you're like, what? And God forbid somebody gives you a fun size. I mean, that's almost insulting. What do you want me? I'm a grown woman. What do you want me to do with this? You know, you're just like, oh, what? It's not enough. So now you move over. And I remember you, when, you know, when King Size, well, I don't remember when they came out. I don't think I'm that old. But I remember King Size candy bars. And that was like a two-person serving because you buy a King Size. You're like, we're going to share. I'm going to eat part. You know, I'm going to give my husband part. Or I'm going to have some candy for later. Yeah. But now, King Size candy bar, I surprised myself one day with how fast. I was like, what? And where did my candy go? I ate the whole thing and I still wasn't satisfied Snickers. (laughs) And so now it's not even just the king size. Now you can get that big one. That's like almost like half a sheet of paper coming around wide. The thick ones, you have to go to candy aisle for those. 
And I'm like, that was probably supposed to be a family size, you know, or something to cook with. But it's just not enough, right? It gets bigger and bigger. Drinks get bigger. It used to be you get the canned drink, and now you're like, well, if I'm going to get me a can, I sit down, we have those little easy, what are they? Is that eight ounces? I just got to confess, y'all. I just grab them things two at a time. I'm like, what? This is not even going to be enough. So I might as well get two of these little cans before I go sit down. <laughs> and now you see people, you can buy a liter drink, and people will walk around with that. I'm like, that's what you're supposed to have on the dinner table so everybody can pour some in their glasses. But it's just not enough, right? It just wants more and more and more. And when we live a sinful life, one where we cater to this flesh, it's going to always want more and more and more. As Pastor told us before, sin will take you further than you meant to go. It will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And it was something else that it would do. It will cost you more than you intended to pay. So when we live a life that's sinful, we're going to get into trouble. It's not even a if, it's just a when and how much. And it's not going to just affect you because we don't live on an island. Everything we do affects someone else. And it may not even directly affect those that you know, but it's going to affect somebody. And you got to remember, every girl is somebody's daughter. Every boy is somebody's son. Somebody loved them enough to bring them into this world because you know there's options. They didn't have to. They cared enough to bring them. And although a lot of parents have threatened to take their kids out of here if you don't behave, most of us don't. You know, you don't. So they mean something to somebody. And our, our actions, when they affect those people, it goes further than us. It's not just us. So we don't want to live a sinful life. The E is for envy. When we're envious of what other people have, you're resentful of the success of others. You look at the thing, why do they deserve that nice big house? I work. You know, why do they get that? Why do they get the promotion on the job? I should be able, don't be envious of other people's success. You don't know what they're giving up. You don't know how much work they've had to do. Uh, you don't know what they do when they're not in front of you, when they go home, how much effort they put into it, how much practicing time and time again. I share with you the first year when I tried out for cheerleading. Gosh, I lived and breathed that thing. And so for anybody to have envied me, I'm like, did you put the work in? That I put things that I could have done, I didn't do because I was standing in front of the mirror practicing you know, trying to do whatever I could do to accomplish my goal. You don't know what people are sacrificing to get what they have. Don't begrudge them their successes. Just do what you need to do to be where you want to go. We don't want to be envious. Don't want what someone else has. Just appreciate what you have. Find the joy in what you have. Uh, and where you are in your life. And the D, discontentment, being unsatisfied, which sort of goes with the envy. When you're not satisfied with what you have, you're always looking at somebody else's. You know, when they say you want to keep up with the Joneses, well, that used to just be the people in your neighborhood, and you maybe kind of could. Uh, but now, when the world is available to us, you can, you know, Thank you, Robin Leach. You can look into the lifestyles of the rich and famous and, and it's all right there and you can see, 
you know, what they have and then you want that lifestyle. Well, you're not at the point where you can have that lifestyle. And would you want to give up? Those people give up their lives. They give up their privacy to be able to have that kind of money, that kind of fame. Would you want, I don't want that kind of fame where everybody thinks they have a say-so over, you know, she went to the grocery store and she didn't even go to the healthy grocery store. She just went to this other little grocery store. Do you see what she had in her basket? And that makes front page news. What kind of stuff is that? Ooh. Amen. So you have to, you know, be content with what you have. It doesn't mean that you don't have goals, that you don't have aspirations. It just means that where I am right here in my life, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you've given me. I thank you for what I have. I thank you for the wisdom that you've given me to, to use what I have. And then we're asking him, what do you want me to do with it? Because there's not a one person in this room. And I dare say that you probably don't know anybody personally that has nothing. You realize there are people in this world that have nothing. They are born into poverty. They scrape and scrape and their kids will probably live in the same type of situation. And not only do they not have, but they have little to no opportunity to have. We don't experience that in this country. We experience poverty on some level, but even I should say I'm hard pressed that when I work over at the food bank on Tuesdays to see even one person come through those doors without a cell phone. How poor is that? Even if it's a government issued phone, it's still a resource that was given to you. There are some parts in the world where there are no government issued cell phones. You at least have the opportunity to have. And look at what that opportunity gives you. Because with that phone, it can expose you to other things that you can then develop a desire to have and programs that will give you the resources if you simply are motivated enough to do it. So we don't really know what that's like to not have. But wouldn't it be wonderful if from your abundance, if you come across someone who doesn't have that you could give and not even think a second thought about it. Even if you had to give them the coat you were currently wearing because you know you have another one at home or you know you have the resources to go and buy another one. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in that frame of mind to say that whatever I have with me right now, if there were somebody that were put into my path that were called upon and needed it, that I wouldn't hesitate, I would just give it and take no thought. Maybe it's your lunch, maybe it's your clothes, maybe it's your car. I mean, you have two. Maybe you're like, well, they need it to get to work. They don't have one. Just give it. We'd be like, no, I may take you to work a couple of days. <laughs> but what if mine breaks down? Well, then what if it does? And perhaps can we not believe God that he would give us the resources to repair it? I can trust him with my soul, but not my transportation. Is that what we say? I got to keep a spare. You know, that's what they used to call the second child. Uh, you had your heir and then you had a spare. 
in case something happened to the first one because we couldn't believe God to keep them alive. And so we may have that not knowing, we may have developed that mindset, I need to get all I can have because I don't truly believe that God's gonna bless this and keep it. And if something happens to it, I'm not really sure he's gonna replace it. What a place to be in. He's supposed to be your Lord and Savior. And you don't think he could get another loaf of bread to you in time to make your peanut butter sandwich for lunch. But anyway, things cost. And that's a point I really want you to understand. Our things cost us in multiple ways. First of all, there's the initial financial investment. Even if you get stuff on sale, which was my thing, I just got an adrenaline rush. I just... The department store loved me because they would just send me coupons and I'm call up, mom, I got coupons, get ready to ride. And I would go in and, and if you get the right uh, cashier, they will help you stack them bad boys or divide your purchases. And they would be almost paying me to take them clothes out of the store. And I would just get stuff and I'm like, I can't wear it, but for $2, you're going home with me. Get in the buggy. We'll find. I'm like, I'm doing good because I'm buying stuff for everybody else. And, you know, and then I, I will get smart with it because if you put it on your credit, your store credit card, then you get rewards points. And then they would send you a coupon for the rewards points. That was like money. Tricky thing is, though, if you didn't remember to pay off that two dollar item before the interest hit, well, then you paid more than two dollars for it. Right. You let that thing ride and ride and you'd be surprised at how quickly uh, that bill can get, how, how high it can get, how quickly. But things cost. Um, so you've got that initial financial investment and it may be small, but it's still two dollars that you could have done something else with. $2 that I could have helped somebody with, perhaps. Maybe there was somebody that back when $2 could get you gas. Um, you know, perhaps I could have put that with that or maybe an extra $2 on my tip at the restaurant, you know, for the server who's getting paid, you know, below minimum wage and give a little something extra to them. I could have, but no, I bought, you know, an item that I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. It's just going to sit in the closet for right now. Not the best use of my resources. So things cost that initial financial investment. And even if somebody gives it to you and you think, well, I didn't put any money in it, so it didn't cost me anything. Well, the second way things cost is that the time you use to take care of it. Because, you know, when you have stuff in your house, you got to clean it. You got to move it so you can clean around it. Uh, so the time it takes to take care of it. You have two cars. They have to have oil changed. You can't just let them sit up or the tires will dry rot. Don't ask me how I know that. You have to keep them moving. Things don't like to just be stationary. You got to wash them. So the time that it takes to maintain things, that costs you. Because I can't get time back. Can you get your time back? You can't get time back. So it costs you. I've given it away on some item that I don't even care about. But because I own it and because I want to be a good steward, you know, we can throw, I have to be a good steward over my things because I'm going to be a good steward. I look in my uh, house, we have a shelf where we have all of our DVDs and I've been giving it the side eye lately because I don't remember the last time anybody pulled a DVD off that thing to play it. But it's there and every so often when the mood hits, 
I dust. It doesn't happen often, but, you know, every so often. When it piles up, you got to be like, somebody should take care of that. You got to dust. If nothing else, things get up under the shelf, so I got to move stuff to clean out from under there. Plus, it takes up some, you know, some space or whatever. So I'm looking at that. I'm like, why are we keeping those videos in case one day we watch it? Well, isn't everything on TV these days or at the library or somewhere? I mean, I'm like, what? what's it there for? It's just taking time. If nothing else, the time I spend thinking about it. Hmm, wonder even what movies are over there. Not even enough to go look. Just wonder what's behind that one. Ah, oh, I'll look at it later. But it takes our time. Another way things cost us is the physical space to store it. Till you either use it up or throw it away. Like that shelf of videos. I could put something else right there in that corner. I don't know what, because I'm really, frankly, trying to get rid of most things. Um, but the space that it's using. Our houses are only so big. And then we have to get storage houses. Right? And do we want to talk about storage houses? I was so shocked to find out. Now, frankly, it seems like every time you ride down the road, there's more and more of the storage houses. And you know, and I don't think I ever really see anybody there, but at some point you gotta go put your stuff in there. But you don't just see people out there that's looking at, I'm looking at admiring my stuff. No, you sort of put it in there and forget about it. I have a storage house in my yard because I was gonna be smart about it, right? Because I'm gonna be wise with my money. We're not gonna rent a storage house every month. We're just gonna buy one. Well, I, I really kind of missed the point because the whole point is you got stuff in storage that you don't use. And we do because I, I will confess, I have looked at that storage house and thought in there, I know I have some more toothpaste because I remember putting some in a bin in there, but I got to go work at the food bank anyway. So while I'm out today, I'm gonna try to remember to bring home some toothpaste. Because to get in that storage house, first I gotta find the key, cause y'all know who I'm married to. It's locked down. I gotta find the key, and then I gotta go in there, I gotta remember which bin it's in. <sighs> it's probably dusty in there, there may be spiders. Yeah, I'm just gonna pick up a tube while I'm out. And what kind of sense does that make? <laughs> The storage houses. So we have them to put stuff in that we don't have room for in our homes. We care. We say we care too much about it to get rid of it, but we don't care enough about it to even go and check on it and see what it is. It's just out there. And of course, because I am responsible, I also have a chest freezer in there because you know you got to store frozen foods when you find stuff on sale and you have it in there. Now those of you that have known me more than a couple of weeks can pretty much figure what's in my chest freezer. I don't know. I don't I really thought it was empty. And one day I was in the storage house and I was like, let me look in this thing. It had food in it and I just can't even tell you how many times I'd gone to the store and bought those same items. <laughs> when we got ready to eat them because I simply did not remember they were in there. 
So then I'm like, well, I have it for overflow for the food bank. So when, cause sometimes we get a lot of frozen things and then, you know, I'm, I'm helpful. Uh, I don't live far, so we can just pile up my freezer uh, for extra so we don't have to hurry up and move it out. Well, we did that a time or two. Well, how about, you know, you got to then take that stuff out of there. And everybody was looking at me, and I just kept telling them, it's, it's chicken up there in my freezer. Y'all want to go get it? Here's the key. And they're like, can you bring it down? Uh-uh. I don't even go in that storage house. <laughs> but it's full of chicken. If somebody want to go get it so we can give it out next week. And they were looking at me and I'm like, hey, I pay the light bill. So then I'm like, you get all right. I pay the bill to keep the freezer. I just can't be bringing stuff in and out of it. So our things take up the physical space to store. The storage, um, where self-storage industry, I was so shocked. $38 billion industry for little houses for us to put our stuff in. And that doesn't even count the people like me who just had one built. We just paid somebody to build ours. Or you can go to the you know rent to own place and, and buy one. That doesn't even cost them. Those just the little metal buildings that we drive by, $38 billion industry. In 2016, the storage house industry made more money than the Hollywood box office. I'm like, you gotta be kidding because we love going to the movies, don't we? More money in storage houses. One in 11 Americans pays out around $1,200 per year to store their stuff. I think we got too much stuff because I can't be the only one who looks, mine is in my backyard. Can you imagine if you had to drive across town? Who's going across town? It's cold, it's wet, or it's hot, or it's too pretty outside. I needed you. There's always a reason why I can't go and get the stuff out of that storage house. But I'm saying we are paying. If that stuff was that important to you, what do you want to see it every day? Why is it not in your house with you if it is important to you? If it's something you can live without, then why don't you live without it? So that's what I'm telling myself, Samiko. And I say, self and myself says, uh-uh. <laughs> Why don't you just give it away? I know, right? Because there is somebody who could use that stuff in there. But it is difficult because we have emotional attachments to our stuff. That's another way that stuff costs us, the emotional space that we give to it. And I skipped one, but I'll go back to it. The emotional space that we give our items. Are you not connected to it? I still have my cheerleader uniforms from junior high. Y'all, it ain't gonna never happen again. <laughs> I will not ever, ever. Six months after I am dead and buried, my corpse will not be able to fit into those uniforms. It is never gonna happen. Why am I keeping that? I remember that I was a cheerleader. I have pictures, but I go in the storage house and I look at them. I'm like, oh. You know, and you close the bin back up and you walk away and two or three years from now, oh. The emotional attachment, it's some material. 
I guess it's still there. I didn't even put mothballs. It may not even still be. This time when I open it, it may just fall to pieces. I have my high school cheerleader uniforms. Never gonna happen. Complete with the pom-poms. They don't even make them that big anymore. If I showed up at a football game with my pom-poms, they'd be like, what in the world? Because they're the big ones, you know, that we used to have. I went to ball games, football games, because Jasmine was in the band. Never occurred to me one time to take those things out and get over there with those cheerleaders. It's never going to happen. We also have in our storage house. Now, my daughter did a lot of different uh, activities as she was trying to figure out which one she wanted. So we've got basketballs. We have tennis rackets, tennis balls. Um, we have soccer balls. Um, what else could you possibly name? We have uh, softball bat, gloves, helmet. Now, we're not doing any of that stuff. But I go in, oh, baton, completing the little carrying case. Um, and you just go in, I'm like, oh, I remember when Jasmine said, Jasmine don't even care about that stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, why am I keeping it? The emotional attachment. But you know, the trouble with the emotional attachment with stuff is that, like I said before, things don't last forever. Things get damaged. I had an incident where things in that storage house were damaged. And it was the box of stuff that I had some of their baby items in. And you know how we get with our kids and their baby items. It was the little bracelet they put on them in the hospital. That little one first year when they did this, when they did that calendar, I had my daughter's little clump of hair from her first haircut, the one she gave herself. And I had all of this stuff, my memorabilia in a box in the storage house, right? So at one particular time when I'm cleaning it, because I'm civilized, you got to pull it all out, dust it every so often. People would ride by and holler out the window, y'all having a yard sale? I'm like, just keep moving. Ain't none of this stuff going anywhere. This is mine. I'm just going to take it out walk around it, put it back. I get to that box where there had been a leak in the storage house. I'm not even sure if it was a leak. I think it was something with the way it was designed because around the roof, put the rim, there were openings. Anyway, it got wet. And because I don't visit it often, it was damaged and moldy. And boy, I'm gonna tell you what, I got angry because how dare my kids stuff get messed up. When I trusted these people, I don't even know how long we'd had the storage house at that point, but their faces of the two men that built it came to the forefront of my mind. And if I could have got my hands around their necks with my Christian self, <laughs> I was angry because my stuff had gotten messed up. This were memories of my kids. Now, keep in mind, they were in the house. The kids were still there, and I didn't even go in to look at them, but, but their stuff. This reminded me. And, and you know, because I had all these emotions tied to these things, so I got angry. And then I was hurt because I can't replace this stuff. They, the hospital is not even there anymore where my kids were born. Now it's a Home Depot. I can't go in there and ask them for a little bracelet. So I'm like, I can't replace it. So then I was hurt. And then I was out there crying like somebody had taken my actual kids. Broke down in the yard. 
Now, I'm just going to say, I know last week and this week I've given y'all stories about me crying. Y'all just don't know how devastating that is because I don't cry like that often. But I just broke down in the yard because my baby's stuff is just destroyed. And then I got angry again because how dare they make me cry <laughs> on my cleaning day. And finally, I had to remember uh, Samiko, you still have the kids. You still have the memories of what all of this stuff represented. More importantly, you have shared those memories with them. I have talked to both my kids about the trauma they put me through coming into this world. We shared it again over lunch just the other week of the trauma they put me through coming into this world. We talked about Jasmine's first haircut. How my child played just fine with her crafts and scissors. Uh, and she never once cut her own hair until we enrolled her in that preschool. And they made us buy those $2 scissors that they guaranteed us would only cut paper and not hair. And my child, because she is not one to be undone, crawled herself into that Barbie tent that was set up. I gave up a part of my living room for that Barbie tent. And she went in there and cut off a whole section of the back of her hair with those expensive, fancy scissors. Now, I don't actually have to have the clump of hair to remind me of that. I have the memory of what it took for months later to scrape her hair up into ponytails back there so you can see where she had cut her hair. So I'm like, what was I all upset about? I didn't need to. Yes, it's neat. You have all this stuff. But my reaction to when it was damaged was extreme. And when we have that kind of emotional attachment, that is unfair for the item to have to bear the weight of your feelings involved in it. When you can just share your memories, you've had those experiences, share, relive them with the people you've had them with. Relive them with other friends and family members. Don't leave them just over tucked away in a corner because you know one day you're gonna die. And you know what the people who come behind, who have to clean out your stuff are gonna do? Throw it in the trash because it doesn't mean anything to them. It's your sentimental stuff, but it doesn't mean anything to them. So pull it out, put it on the shelf, enjoy it with them now so that you don't have to have that attachment and they don't have to feel guilty while they wait to see how long is a respectable time before I chunk all of mama's stuff that she has kept out in the storage house that even she didn't go in, right? So we have that emotional uh, space that, that, that we have given to it. That cost us, that cost me as it took me. It wasn't just a, you know, a few minutes to get over it because then I got to thinking, oh my gosh, what happens when people's houses are burned down and they lose it all? And then I felt guilty because I'm like, I just lost a little bit of stuff. They've lost everything. I mean, I went through this whole range of emotions. People stopped call, stopping to ask me if I was selling the stuff. Then they just kind of speed it up because they're like, she's crazy. Just go on by. Also, the mental space in our mind when we have to think about the things that we own. When you get ready to go buy something new and you're thinking, do I have this already? I don't know if I have this already. Is this the right color of it? Maybe I shouldn't because you don't want to buy something and get home and hang it up in the closet right next to the one just like it that you bought 
last year and never used. Um, and so you have that mental space when your mind could be thinking up something else, some wonderful cure for something else instead of cataloging how many pair of shoes or how many, you know, pair of red socks that you have. So there's the mental space that goes. Number six, further financial investment to repair it. Um, if it's needed or of course to pay for its storage because sometimes when we buy stuff later on you you may have to buy something else to fix it or you may have to put something else with it uh, if it's something you're using regularly that's fine but if it's just something that's there and all it is it becomes a money pit it's just costing you more and more money then you know perhaps you want to consider you know getting rid of it if it's just there and then the last one the opportunity cost uh, what could you have done uh, with that time, with that money, if you had not used it uh, for this? If it's not something that is worthwhile to you, because every time we spend our time, like the time you spent to come here today was time you could have done something else, but you valued this. And I appreciate that uh, enough to give up the opportunity to do something else to come here. So we do that with every single item that we have in our life. And you just, you know, look at it and say, was it, was this worth it? Is this is this going to be worth the time and energy that I have to give to this? And sometimes our answer is going to be no. If it's no, get rid of it. Don't bring it home to begin with if you don't have to. But if you have, then get rid of it. Um, be sure that the things that you have are worth the price that you are paying to have them. That's really just the point I want to drive home to you. Is it worth it? Uh, because there are some things you can look at. I used to be, you know, big on, I had all these clothes in my closet. Some things didn't fit, but I was going to get back to that size. And you never knew which item those words you got up and you're getting dressed and it doesn't fit. And that can throw your whole day off because you put on something, it doesn't fit or you don't look well in it. You don't feel good about yourself. And then all day long, you just got, you know, your self-esteem is low because you started your morning off on the wrong foot. I don't care how much it costs or how pretty it is. If I can't wear it and feel good about it, it went. I just, it's gone. And then, you know, because God has a sense of humor, I did lose weight and I probably could have wore it. But then I'm like, I'm going to get me something fancy and new now. I done went without chocolate. I'm going to get something, you know. But, you know, so you have to think about those things. If it's not something you can use right now, if it's not worth it, if it's not worth how it makes you feel, you don't have to keep it just because you bought it. Go ahead and cut your losses. Give it to somebody who will appreciate it, somebody who can appreciate it. Make sure you're living the life that you want to live. Are you or are you living the life that now you have to live because you got to pay for the stuff that you got when you were trying to be what somebody else thought you should be? I mean, we have to ask ourselves that question. I, you know, I don't even, I used to, you know, want, oh, I want this really big house. But now I'm like, oh, I have to clean all those rooms. Oh, you got to be afraid that, you know, I don't know why I have this thought in my head that somebody's living in a room and you don't know. I don't know. People don't go around doing that. But in my mind, if you got a house a certain size, somebody moved in there on you and you ain't going to know they're in there and you can't get them out. So, you know, and I used to want all these upstairs and downstairs and now I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. 
don't have to climb all those stairs. I'm fine with my house, where we are, where we live. We're fine if we, you know, decide to add a little more on. But I'd much rather just get rid of some of the stuff that's in there because I don't use it. What's the point in having it when it can bless someone else so much? And, and the memory or the experience of having blessed someone means a whole lot more than just stuff on the shelf. Like I finally come to grips with, I have my nice china, you know, the, your wedding china. Well, I bought my wedding china myself. Uh, I was getting ready to graduate college. Uh, so that was a few years ago. And as a gift to myself, I bought dishes um, that I don't know why. I never really liked to cook, but I bought dishes. So it was nice set of cookware and I also got my china uh, that I wanted. And I still have some of the cookware, some in moves got misplaced or what have you. Um, but it's still one of my favorite boilers is still one from there. And that's been well over 30 years, uh, still in great condition. Well, I still have my china. This is up on the top shelf. We've used it a few times, but it has the gold trim. So, you know, it's not microwavable. Now, what is the point of that? I'm not even sure. I don't think you can even put it in the dishwasher either. It's, it's kind of delicate. So we, we've used it because through the years, I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't have stuff you don't use. But it really is a headache. So it just is up in the top cabinet. And every time I open the cabinets, I look up there. I'm like, should I? No, I'm not using that today. And I'm thinking, I have had those dishes for over 30 years. Has it been 30 years? No, I've been out of high school 30 years. I've had them for as long as I've had him. So 20, 26 years. <laughs> Actually, I got the dishes before I married him. So it was right around the same time. But I'm like, it, doesn't that just blow your mind? A set of dishes that are older than my kids. And I probably could count the number of times that we've used them because they're just not practical for our lifestyle. Uh, and, and my idea of, you know, having, let's, let's get together and have dinner. Okay, pick the restaurant. I'm not cooking. What? Or, you know, big family gathering. You're going to cook? Just tell me how much you need. I will PayPal you today. That's just me, my preference. So China for me, although seem like, again, you know, one of those, but there's no point in me living in the past regretting. It's one of those that seemed like a good idea at a time, but I have decided. Now, I will go ahead and do my daughter the courtesy and see if she wants it, but I can already tell her answer is going to be a no. <laughs> but, so I'm like, I can pull that stuff out. There's going to be some lady that will be thrilled to get that because it is a very nice set of dishes but it is, does not do us any good sitting in the cabinet when I could put what we really use up there. More cups. I don't know why, but cups uh, up there. So just think about those things. And one other thing I want you to think about before we get ready to leave. As I was, had been listening on the news several weeks back, um, the wildfires in California, and we've been you know, praying for those people, um, a lot of them had to evacuate their homes. And they may have been given a couple of days notice or what have you. But when you're evacuating your home because wildfires come and you don't know when you get to come, when, first of all, you'll get to come back home. And secondly, you don't know if you will have a home to come back to. 
uh, because sometimes they can reroute the fires and they may miss whole neighborhoods and sometimes they will just take whole neighborhoods. And even if the fire misses your neighborhood, you have left all that you own unattended for an indeterminate period of time. You don't know what, you know, they're dishonest people. You don't know what people have broken in and taken what. So if you had to evacuate, knowing that you may not have a home to come back to, and knowing that even if your home was still standing, the stuff in it may be gone. And you had a couple of days notice to prepare. Think about for a second, what would you take with you? What are the things in your home that you simply cannot bear the thought of living without? So you would pack them up with you. If you want to take a U-Haul to wherever you're going, because unless you've got family somewhere, you're going to be either staying in a hotel or something. You don't wherever you're going to go. You don't know how long you're going to be there. What are the things that you would take with you? I'm sure some stuff comes to mind. What would I take with me? And then the next question I want you to ask yourself why do I have the rest? If you would not take it with you because you don't know if it's going to be there when you come back, why do you have the rest? If it's so that it makes your life convenient, well, we all need furniture and perhaps we wouldn't take our furniture with us, but you know, furniture is replaceable. But if it's these other little odds and ends, knick-knack things here, all those storage bins, um, how many of us would even go, I probably wouldn't even go by that storage house trying to get anything out of there. If you don't need it, if you don't even want it really, why do you have it? Let somebody else be blessed. Because remember, there is somebody that doesn't have, that probably could be blessed by that. Or there is simply the time you will recoup because you don't have to use it being bothered with that. But I want you to just be free to realize you don't have to have it because our society says you do. You don't have to have it because someone else says you do. You are not your stuff. You know, you are a valuable human being because God created you not because of anything you own, not because of anything you can own. You are worth knowing just because you're you. You are a blessing to the lives of those around you simply when you are you, not when you are trying to get things for them, but when you are there for them. So instead of the confused life, let's choose a simple life. Let's surrender ourselves to the Lord. Let's form an intimate relationship with him, with those around us. Let's be mindful, present in this moment. Let's enjoy the peace that only God can give. Let's love unconditionally. Let those offenses go. It's not going to poison my system. I'm not going to poison others around me. Uh, and then we're going to be earnest, sincere in our serving and enthusiastic in our serving. And once you have cleared your life of all of the excess, then I want you to then step back, assess what you have, and then you have to organize it into some kind of usable um, structure so that when you need it, you know where it is. You can get it. 
because you don't want to use your time looking for something that you have. So I have some handouts for you today, and they're going to be over on that table for you to get. Um, the first, it's just one, it's uh, front and back. On the front, it says, high five your way to clutter free, a clutter-free life. And there are five steps uh, for you to be able to declutter your life uh, and the plans for that step. And then on the back, organizational tips for what to do with the things that you have left so that you know where they are and you're not just spending your time roaming around. So thank you all so much for spending these two weeks with me. I know we were a little bit longer than we normally are, but I do appreciate your patience and your attentiveness. And I am done. Let's greet our pastor as he comes. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Remember, if you would like to hear today's message in its entirety or hear the entire series, just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast and get it on the go. And if you have a Roku device, make sure you search for Kingdom Rock TV. In there, you will find this program and so much more. We would also love to see you in a live service. Just go to our website to get the details at www.kingdomrock.org. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.